Welcome to the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability Autism Conversations in the Schools podcast. This series, as well as our online trainings, have been developed in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department for educators who would like to learn more about evidence-based practices. We hope that you enjoy these podcasts, and if you have any questions about these resources or how we may support your school district, please contact the UNMCDD at 505-272-1852. Hello, and welcome to the Autism Conversations in the School podcast presented by the New Mexico Public Education Department and the Autism and Other Developmental Disabilities Program at the UNMCDD. I am Patrick Blevins, a board-certified behavior analyst and manager of school services and behavior analytic services at the CDD. Today, we're going to be speaking with Felicia Navarez, who is one of our education consultants, about the topic of supporting Indigenous students and culturally responsive uh, education practices. So Felicia, if you wouldn't mind giving us a brief introduction about yourself and your education background. Sure. Uh, My name is Felicia Navarez, and I am, as you said, an educational consultant within the University of New Mexico and the Center for Development and Disability. I received my bachelor's from New Mexico State University in special education, and then my master's in curriculum and behavior from Arizona State University, the area of autism. I've been here for about seven years and have spent probably the last, I'd say maybe two and a half years, supporting various Native communities within the state of New Mexico and Arizona. I grew up in southern New Mexico in a small pueblo called Tortugas. We are part of Isleta del Sur Pueblo, a smaller portion of it with a Tigua base. We can be found alongside Interstate 10 west of New Mexico State University. We are Tigua-centered and carry out all of our customs and traditions in the Tortugas Pueblo as well as Tortugas Mountain. Thank you, Felicia. As we get started, New Mexico is minority-majority state, and within that, there are uh, many diverse cultures which have different historical experiences regarding public education, and these experiences impact learning to this day. Our discussion today focuses on culturally responsive teaching for students with disabilities. So Felicia, when we are working to support uh, Indigenous students, what are some of the broader cultural awareness components of education that teachers should be aware of prior to getting started on day one? I think the first and most important step is even before a teacher begins to sit and instruct the student just in any matter is to sit with the family, with the community, and ask, what are the goals for your child? What, you know, what are the goals um, in the community? What do you want your child to be a part of? Or, you know, what is your child struggling to be a part of? Because what I've found is that many times in the various Native communities that are supported, goals are and can be extremely different. 
Um, meaning, yes, as an educator, we are trying to work on building those academic skills. Um, but many times we know that alongside those academic skills are those social skills um, that go hand in hand. And so it might be that, you know, we're trying to get reading levels up and, you know, to follow through and typical academic settings. Although it might be that families really, really would like their child um, and their family member to, to, to participate in various ceremonies within the community and within the Pueblo or tribe. And that might mean that they need to read certain things or be part of certain things that you need those academic skills for. So being able to understand what those are and what those needs are within the community can really help drive instruction into a meaningful way um, to bring everybody into it. So uh, overall, it's checking with your community, checking with the family and seeing what values are um, important to them, what they find important as far as what's happening next, what does this individual really struggle with and what can we do to support them? I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and something else I think tied to that, which I'm hoping you can speak to is the concepts of disability in general uh, differ culturally amongst different uh, groups and indigenous populations um, may have a different view as to what disability itself, the, the actual definition means. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, most definitely. So. I am also part of the Hispanic community, and many times in Hispanic culture, if you have an individual with a disability or a higher need in your family, it's always, we take care of our own, you know, we can do it, we don't need help, you know, we have grandma and auntie and uncle um, that can help and support, and so what I've observed and what I've witnessed in Native communities is very similar to that, but also is the nothing is wrong with our family member, which is completely true. Everybody is their own person. And it's important for educators and professionals coming into Native communities to understand that when we approach the situation, we want to make sure that we are conveying that we are not here to fix a problem or to change somebody because they are not the way they're supposed to be. More so what we're doing is we are looking at how can we support this individual um, to have the ability to meet these expectations in a way that is less stressful for everyone, um, including that individual, because we all know we've all been in a situation where we've been asked to do something or we need to do something, but we ourselves are worried, do we have the skills to do that? Can we do that? Are, you know, are we going to mess up? Everybody knows what that feels like and what the anxiety that that can bring. So it's not, um, from what I've observed, it's in Native communities, we want to ensure that we are communicating that we're not here to fix that. We're not here to change that. What we're here to do is support and provide those tools so that maybe it might be that when we ask an individual to do something or they need to do something, maybe what we do is we provide them with the skill to say, hey, I need help. 
hey, I want some support during this. And so overall, it's ensuring that when you come into a Native community, you are clearly and simply communicating what you're there for. And what we're all here for is to provide those tools and supports to provide that family, that individual, which is a few more steps to reach their goal. Great. You mentioned the importance of community and access to events and traditions. So I'm, I'm wondering if you have um, any specific directions for teachers, in, specifically in terms of creating meaningful objectives and goals within the IEP process, Indigenous students with disabilities. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it, I think it goes back to your first question, talking about, you know, what are those first steps that teachers can do to help um, support Native students with disabilities, and that's talking to the family. And of course, any student with a disability, any student um, with an IEP, a family is part of that team. You know, an IEP is a team built to come together and develop those goals and objectives and, you know, figure out what we all can do to best support the learner. Although I will jump out and say that I believe in Native communities, um, that family portion is, you know, 10 times more important because in those sessions and getting to know your families and getting to know your students, the community as well, you learn what those important goals are and what those different ceremonies and traditions are. You know, many times, at least in Tortugas, there are times that one of our ceremonies takes place in a large room, uh, multiple people, and it can get extremely loud. And within that, we are following directions, we are moving, we are also um, having to be aware of the space around us. Um, And so there's a lot going on and I can see how it can be extremely overwhelming for any individual to be part of that. So it might be that, you know, that might be a ceremony that happens monthly for one of your individuals, one of your students. And, you know, they might not have ever been able to attend or be part of that. Or one family member might sit out um, every month to be with their child or their individual to support them because they are unable to participate. So it might be that maybe we work on, you know, eating lunch in the cafeteria where it's really loud, where we're having to follow directions, where there's lots of people in there. And so kind of working all around it and really trying to pick and choose those skills with the family, because it might be also the family might say, hey, that's okay. My student, my child doesn't, you know, that's not a big step for me for my child to participate in that. Although, you know, we have this ceremony, we have this tradition that our family does that my child has never been able to participate in. So what can we do to help support that? What can we do to build skills for that? And it might be that we're building wait time. It might be that we're building, um, you know, literacy to be able to read and participate in that, Um, or even just the social skills on how to interact and what to do. And so um, everything can be a little bit different, but also, again, I just go back to talking with that family, um, talking with the community and seeing 
what these look like and what are different things that you as a teacher can work on. Great. Again, you emphasized the um, importance of engaging with the community and the family. I'm wondering from your experiences as a teacher and perhaps your own personal experiences, are there any or were there any particular learning environments or learning preferences that may have more of a cultural specific um, background to them? Um, something that I have um, experienced firsthand um, a few times, and the first time was very surprising to me, was actually I was called in to support an individual within a Native community, and when I arrived, I arrived to a chair at the front of the room, two chairs for myself and the individual, and then almost like an audience setup of um, maybe seven or eight additional chairs. And actually, I had the family and different tribal members sitting and observing me working with this individual. Um, again, because as it was one of the first times of working in a Native community, I learned I did not clearly express what I was doing and what I was asked to do and, you know, what my goal was. And so they, the community and their family was there to support that individual and make sure I, you know, make sure nothing bad was going to happen. And so what I learned is, again, like, as I said, to clearly communicate what's going on, what you're doing, how you're trying to support, but also supporting within that community, um, within that community setting. And so I was, you know, I had to get clearance and, you know, um, escorted on to the Pueblo and, you know, escorted to the school and whatnot. But I was on with it. I was within the Pueblo and being there really allowed everybody to come in and, you know, ask those questions and be part of it. And so many times we, especially now, um, have that opportunity and might provide support through telehealth um, and maybe not necessarily in person on within the Native communities. So what I would say, um, if I'm answering your question correctly, Patrick, is if you have the chance, go in person and learn about the tribal community, introduce yourself, be part of it. Because if you can be in there and understanding it, rather than just seeing it through the computer, is two completely different things. Great. I think it's a really good additional point that when you are engaging in um, Indigenous communities, you know, specifically schools that are located on Pueblos um, or reservations that you are part of a larger community and that you are primarily a guest. And so that if you're, if you are coming from a different location as a teacher, you may not use, be used to the openness of the community and that generally speaking, anyone can, can step in and observe you because, uh, you know, you are, you are the, the transient person, so to speak. So you're the person coming in um, and out of the community, uh, you know, on a, on a regular basis. So throughout these series of podcasts, we 
often reiterate that uh, behavior is a form of communication. And so when we're uh, working with Indigenous students who may have language delays or difficulty communicating uh, verbally um, and may have corresponding challenging behaviors, is there anything that specifically that you would like to advise teachers on in regards to, to handling those situations? Yeah, sure. I think I can talk about a few different experiences. So one, the various Pueblos that I have supported in the educational setting, one, completely different. In one Pueblo that I've um, supported, I have, it's a very close, tight-knit community. And I was the one coming in. I was the new one. And as I entered and as I began, students um, were hesitant to give me and tell me what their real name was. They definitely had a barrier. I was the new person coming in. They didn't know who I was or what I was supposed to do or, you know, was I staying? So I did encounter a lot of so-called behavior, meaning they for a bit pretended I was invisible. Um, and would not speak to me um, until I got to know them and they got to know me. And so as a teacher, your first response, you know, at times when you encounter those, you know, I'd say typical classroom behaviors of, um, you know, them refusing to talk to you or answer any questions in the cl- in classroom discussions, um, not telling you their names, uh, different things such as that, those off-task behaviors that we can often see in classrooms. In a typical school setting, meaning a public school setting in a larger city, I believe I would address those differently. Although here within the community that I was in, I knew it was all a an avoidance of trying to protect themselves of somebody new coming into their community who, you know, what was this person here? What were they going to do? Um, and so many times you might see behavior such as this, but this is where you look at that cultural background. You look at what is taught to them as far as their culture. And you'll see the same um, when interacting with various adults within Native communities. They might not be so open and forthcoming when you first meet them because they are guarded. They are, you know, this is their community. And so making sure that if these are the things you are seeing, this might not be your time for your typical uh, behavior response. It again goes back to cultural, getting to know what the social situations are, introducing yourself. And so it's taking that step back to observe what's going on. I also have experienced supporting a smaller Native community. Um, I was called in, there was an individual, um, and they were struggling with some really aggressive behaviors. Um, And so as I came in, I, of course, experienced some of those aggressive behaviors. Family members and community members came in to, quote unquote, save me so that I wouldn't get hit or bit, whatnot. Um, And I had to explain, you know, this is okay. Like that being these acting out behaviors are telling me something. They're telling me that he doesn't um, like what's going on or she doesn't really care for me and would really like me out of her space. And so 
explaining what that was and explaining how, oh, this is something that I can work on. And this is something that she's telling me. I can help her communicate and come across as saying, go away, rather than her reaching out to fight or hit somebody in her immediate surroundings. So teaching her to say, hey, I don't like you, go away, is much better than that. So it's taking that step back and understanding that many times it's that cultural background of what they're taught. Again, I think that's a really good point. I think sometimes within uh, education and specifically special education, we're evaluating student behavior on whether or not it's a performance skill uh, versus an acquisition skill, you know, meaning does the student know how to perform the given behavior or is the student, does the student have the basic skill, but is choosing not to perform the skill? So what I'm hearing from you is that oftentimes through our lens as educators, we might miss some of the cultural components that sort of mask that. So what might look like, you know, a, a performance skill uh, is actually you know, a different cultural expectation and how should teachers go about sort of assessing that and then, um, you know, providing support. Something else that um, educators can look into and kind of explore is the use of visual support. The use of visual supports, as we all know, brings back the expectation and that need for the verbal language. And again, just to throw out there, the use of visual supports does not mean we are holding back verbal language or it's going to um, hinder the development of verbal language. Visual supports is only a way to help improve communication um, and help one share a message from a from the sender to the receiver. It, again, like I said, is not going to hurt the development of verbal language, but through the use of visual supports, it might be a little bit easier to help communicate those wants and needs and thoughts between all communication partners, especially if um, you are supporting an individual that might have a very strong native language base. Um, and, you know, they're learning English or they're learning a different language. And so there is a communication barrier. Um, and so those visual supports can help with those small bits of communication, as well as individuals who just have those, those gaps in communication as far as, you know, being able to be understood through verbal language or um, struggle to communicate verbally. And so Visual support is a great way to go. Um, there are various resources on the internet to look for um, visual supports as well that are already built um, and can be put to use. Are you aware of any specific resources for Indigenous students? You know, as of right now, I do not have any specific resources um, that are directed towards um, native students. Um, I have been on the search, but have not been able to find any. Okay, so I guess at that point, then you'd want to contact the UNMCDD for a consultation? Yes, most definitely. If you um, find yourself 
in a situation where you have a few more questions, please reach out. I'm sure Patrick will provide some contact information. Thank you, Felicia. Is there anything else you'd like to add that might be helpful to our teachers who um, have Indigenous students with disabilities in their classroom? I think I would like to end on the note of just um, ensuring that the special education teacher and staff and school as a whole, just take that step back and take, you know, those extra few hours to learn about the community, learn about the family and really truly get to know where you're working and the, you know, the individual you're supporting because responses, goals are going to look different in a native community. And taking that extra step is really going to ensure that successfulness with your student. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us today. And again, if you have any questions, please contact us at 505-272-1852 or 1-800-270-1861. 